Hello, everyone. Welcome to What is Covenants? Specialized Pastoral Care Services Christian Counseling Ministry. And that's not a rhetorical question for, for all of you who are out there in podcast land. I've always heard it said that God takes care of those or helps those that help themselves. Where to begin with that thought? I suppose in a most basic sort of way or means of looking at that, way of looking at that, you'd have to agree to cooperate is necessary for God to help you. And should you then have the spirit, so to speak, even in human terms, to do those things that God would want you, us, to do, then obviously he's going to, he's not going to, he's not going to, God's not going to change whether he wants to help us or not. It's whether we would then be cooperative, open to receiving his assistance and his help. So in that way, I think the saying is mostly true or is entirely true. God helps them, those that help themselves. Nonetheless, at the same time though, if that means you're going to somehow in helping yourself get ahead of God or make it just then about yourself, then that's probably not going to be as true, if at all true. The rain falls on the just and the unjust. And that's not bad. It's not like rain is bad. It's like rain is good. It's a blessing from God. But if it's all just about you and not about others, not about helping, assisting others, even as God helps those who help themselves, then you're not going to be cooperative not only with God wanting to help you, but because of your selfishness you're not going to, and not helping others, you're not going to be able to receive that. You're not going to help others. <laughs> and you may just contribute to the devil's, I guess, model. Help yourself. Because <laughs> why should you care about anybody else? John, chapter 21. Verse 15. Well, let's go to 12. Jesus saith unto them, Come and dine. And none of the disciples did dare to ask him, Who art thou, knowing that it was the Lord? Jesus then cometh, and taking bread, and giveth them, and fish likewise. This is now the third time that Jesus showed himself to his disciples after he was risen from the dead. So when they had dined, Jesus saith to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, lovest thou me more than these? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, (laughs) thou knowest that I love thee. He that saith unto him, Feed my lambs, or sheep. He saith to him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonah, lovest thou me? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my sheep. 
He saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus saith unto him, feed my sheep. God helps them, those who help themselves. But it sounds pretty clear, at least with a bit of consideration, not too much, doesn't require too much consideration. It seems pretty clear Jesus was making a point to Peter, and he repeated it three times. Most likely for the sake of not only clarity, maybe getting through Peter's personality, his dickhead, uh, but also going against the most possible negative aspect of God helps those or them who help themselves. It's not about you, Peter. It's about feeding my sheep. And with that, then, I think even as Jesus asked Peter that question the first time, Verse 15, so when they had died, Jesus saith to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, lovest thou me more than these? What was that all about? Sounding rather incredulous as he said it. I, I would think that maybe even in consideration that Peter was all about himself, he was interested in others. But I don't think he was interested in others out of, again, the most purest or the best of godly motives. God helps them who help themselves, but not in a good way, in a bad way. What was Peter's problem then that Jesus would even ask him, lovest thou more than these I think it would be that Peter's intention, even at that point, (laughs) which is, again, post-resurrection, before Jesus' ascension, and (laughs) this is the Gospel of John, so it's the last of the Gospels, and with that, whether it would be in some sort of literal, chronological sort of dimension, but certainly in biblical context, it is in being the last of the Gospels, the last encounter that we know of that the disciples had with Jesus in this way of some fellowship, kind of like all the old times were all back together again. They'd caught the fish, had the dinner, had sup, King James would put it, with one another. And it would have been easy then for Peter, even as... It wasn't so easy on the night Jesus was apprehended and he denied him on three occasions before the cock crow. I think it was three occasions. I get that confused. Two or three might be the Gospels represented presented in a couple of different ways. Before the cock crows, <laughs> the set number of times. But whether it's two or three, the point would be Peter denied Jesus Primarily because he saw Jesus as a resource to getting an end done. 
And though it pertained to others, it may not have been any more than Peter wanting the others simply because they were going to be necessary to accomplishing the end. Much can be said about teamwork. Much can be said about you can't do it alone. Much can be said about even principles of agreement. Two or more gathered together in my name, Jesus would say, or has said, or the Bible would say, Jesus has said, and I'm in the midst of them, still relevant and pertinent to today. It works the same way today as it did then. But even if you don't put Jesus in the middle, the Tower of Babel's evidence If you get enough people in agreement, you can go pretty far before it all starts to fall apart. And you do need help. You can't do it all. But there again is the motive of selfishness. God doesn't want this to be about us. He wants it to be about others. Will we cooperate Is it necessary, even in a reciprocal, transactional context, for the sake of agreement, so at least we can cooperate, or as God's hands are moved through prayer, he moves through us. We're the tangible representation of that. Yes, we need to cooperate, and up to that point, There really isn't much difference. We're working together as a team. It's just like old times. They tried to kill Jesus. (laughs) They did kill Jesus. But he was resurrected, tried to kill us. Uh, Peter was finally starting to put some of those pieces together. But Peter was still, I believe, and why Jesus asked him in the way he did, inclined to want to make it about himself or self, and even if it is a godly cause. If it's about you and ultimately not about feeding the sheep, then at some point the distinction will become quite obvious. The separation of, no pun intended, sheep from the goats. All as lambs being led to the slaughter. You'll know the true intent and heart of the person. Because even though it may be about God helping them that help themselves or that helps in that way self. It would only be then to the degree that we would make sure the motive is right. So that we can then understand why God would help you. (laughs) And even as the Old Testament would capture just that, the test for proper motive, whether it's all about you or about loving others, I think we all have to pass through that sword. If you can't make it through that sword, flaming sword, You're never going to pass through the second, and you're never going to get back into uh, the garden, as God would have wanted it to be. And very early on with Adam and Eve, at least seemingly so for us who read the story 
uh, Noah's condensed version, not Noah's, but Moses' condensed version, the Pentateuch. Didn't take long for Adam and Eve to be exiled from the garden because of this very thing, I believe. It became not only an awareness to self, but selfish. And though Adam went down with Eve, which was the right thing to do, I'm not even sure that wasn't out of selfish motive. It was the right thing to do, ultimately, not to allow the devil to separate. But even then, the motive has to be sanctified by what? A realization that God may bless you. God may even work through you. God can even, in many, many, many sort of examples throughout the course of your life, allow you to bear much fruit. The fruit isn't yours. It's his, and it's for others. And except that we would keep that first and foremost, we will never then really understand the sanctification, the second flaming sword, the New Testament, the Gospels, the encounter with Jesus Christ, the relationship with Christ necessitates because to our salvation, is necessary to our salvation, because Jesus had to, not because he didn't want to or was forced to do, And I'm a big believer. You can't make anybody do anything they're either not willing to do and or not in that able to do out of their own doubts or disbeliefs. If they don't believe they can do it, you could try to say, well, just do it. And even so, could become angry at them, make them, try to make them do it. And it's still not going to work. Their countenance is going to fall. They're going to become angry. Now, fortunately, at this point in the gospel, John 21, Peter was pretty cooperative, even if he wasn't yet cooperative. And Jesus continues. Verse 18, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, When thou wast young, thou girdest thyself, and walkest where thou wouldest. But when thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thy hands, and another shall gird thee, and carry thee where thou wouldest not. It's these same these. (laughs) Feed my sheep. Do you love these more than me? It has to start with that. Feed my sheep. It has to start with, you have to love Jesus more. You have to understand this is not about you. It's about everyone else. But you have to understand that out of the right motive. Lest you make it about everyone else and logistics and still being about serving you. Then they're all resources waiting to be exploited. And if you can't get their cooperation, you're going to make them do it. And if you make them do it, you're not going to get a good result You might get some. It's again the Tower of Babel. You're only going to go so far and then it's all going to fall apart and everybody's going to go different ways and nobody's going to be talking to each other. (laughs) They're going to be confounded. Different languages, different tribes. The devil loves that. He tried to get Adam and Eve to do that. They were able to resist that even if out of selfish motive. But we're much further along, chronologically, if you want to look at it, in time, 
and with that, that this dimension of material dimension and space, we're much further along. We're, we're certainly much further along than when Peter had this encounter with Jesus because I believe we're closer to the second coming of Christ. But if we're going to experience the second coming of Christ, it's the same thing. Whatever we do now, we can't do it out of trying to make a kingdom. We can't do it out of trying to exploit a resource. We can't do it out of trying to make somebody be something they don't want to be. Even God does not make anybody do anything they don't want to do. There is a consequence, and in that way God established or instituted the consequence, which is hell, whether a bit of it now as maybe earlier so that you might repent and change your mind and your attitude and your motive, but certainly in a hereafter eternal context, we know of the literal hell. That's not where you want to be, but unfortunately until you get there, some will still not believe it to be true or real. Though they've got a taste of it now, they still won't accept. If you keep doing it this way, Peter, the way that seems right unto you, about self-preservation, it's not going to end well for you. You may even justify it by making it a godly cause. You may even justify it by making it a Jesus cause or a Christ cause or a salvation cause, but there's no salvation in it for you unless your motive is right because you're still going to be no better than your father, should you think that way, and it becomes institutional or part of your character or should you not ever receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior I don't think Peter was of his father the devil but in some ways we're in a material dimension all guilty of that in the same way we were all guilty of crucifying the suffering servant the same thing Jesus was asking not only Peter but us today to realize it's not about you God is going to bless you so that you can bless Bless others. It's about serving others. Isaiah 53. But if you don't, again, accept Jesus in that way, you probably not really accepted Jesus. And then what would be the material manifestation of whether you've really accepted Jesus as your Lord, as the Christ, the Messiah, as your Lord and Savior, fully abiding in not only the Word of God, even so passing through Old Testament and New Testament flaming swords so that you might then find rightful entry not only back into the garden but into heaven You've got to show the bear of the fruit. (laughs) Faith without works is dead. Works doesn't make it right, because you could do a lot of things out of wrong motive. But works is part of validating the right motive. But when the two line up in the proper way to the extent or degree that you are willing to lay down your life for another, even as Christ, you can probably believe that's pretty credible. There's two witnesses. There's a material witness. And then there's the spiritual witness. Jesus was just reminding Peter, when you're old, you ought to stretch forth your, forth your hands, and another will gird thee and carry thee where thou wouldest not. Verse 19. This spoke he, signifying by what death he should glorify God, 
And when he had spoken this, he saith unto him, follow me. (laughs) Did Peter get it? Obviously he did. Upon this rock I shall build my church. It's not that the foundation is bad. It's just the realignment from a materialistic orientation about serving self to the understanding that everything you do in life, even so on the front end of it, should it seem to rightly be about self, in the end was only so that when the right time came, you could dispatch or deliver that blessing in the way that God would have wanted it. Certainly there's much to be said for preservation, sanctification in a material dimension. Lest we would not even have any time on this earth. But the earth is cursed in the sense that not that death is wrong or that God did not implement or institute that as part of the material aspect of life. Eternal life, creativity. But he's the purveyor of that. Nobody can create as God creates. He works through us. What, to what extent? So that we then, when the time is right, will deliver what he has given unto us. Who knows that? Only you. In Jesus and Holy Spirit and God. But in the end, all of us will give back what we have received, even if it's just that. You just give what, at least what you got. Because in the end, nobody escapes without the requirement to do that materially. But if you look at it that way, then at least, not necessarily so much contrast, but complement, this Old Testament, what I just said is Old Testament, Begin to realize, though, but in a spiritual sense, it's a bit different. God is no longer working through earth or in earth and therein what we perceive to be the curse. He's working in us in spirit dimension through the Holy Spirit so that we might then be Part of his creativity, but it's not us that creates. And should we then put the cart before the horse and live by the Old Testament and then try to sanctify it in some manner just for the sake of rationalization or justification for noble causes, good purposes to appear as angels of light? Even do you love me more than these, Peter? Maybe Peter had a bit of an ego or narcissistic bent. Maybe he just wanted to be king. I mean, I think arguably so. The scripture and the gospels captures. There was a lot of rivalry and competition amongst the disciples. But that's selfishness. It's not your kingdom. It's God's kingdom. I think Jesus just wanted to help Peter understand Peter, I've given you all these things. I've given you, you're the foundation. You're the rock. I've given you the keys to the kingdom. (laughs) But it is not yours. And don't lock people out. And don't exploit people. And don't lie, cheat, and steal. Even if you can't or should you choose for the sake of not appearing to be of the devil who is a murderer. 
Even if you make it seem pleasant on the surface, you're still killing people if you tie them to just simply the notion of, well, all we've got is the material, the Old Testament, and we just have to make that work. But that's what creates Sadducees and Pharisees. That's what creates hypocrites. That's the failing of the Old Testament. You have to, have to get to understanding of the true, not only mind of Jesus, but the true heart, the motive of Jesus as the Christ that God did distribute in human dimension. Jesus was a man, but it wasn't the man that Peter was speaking to in this passage in John 21, chapter 21. It was Peter, it was Jesus, Peter was speaking to Jesus, the Christ, more the Christ, the Messiah, than it was Jesus, but for the sake of appreciation and recognition, Peter still saw him, but Jesus was a human. Whatever he might have encountered of Jesus' humanity was long gone at that point, because Jesus fulfilled the very thing that he was He taught and he was teaching still Jesus and the disciples. It's not about you. It's about me. It's about my mission, the Christ, the Messiah. It's about now entering into and with me in this mission and purpose of serving God and feeding sheep. Then Peter, it's going to take you right up to the end of you. But what is that? Everybody ends that way. But if you want resurrection... If you want to cross over, if you want to be translated as Enoch or even so transfigured as Peter witnessed on the Mount of Transfiguration, you need to recognize, put the horse, the white horse, in front of the cart. Feed my sheep, Peter. Get this. Three times. Realize, do you love me? Not just me more than these Now it's, now that we have this relationship, it's now that we've come to this point of oneness, it's now that I have gotten into your heart and you're in my heart, it's you're going to do the same things as me. These things and even greater in that Jesus came so that we might have even more fruit. Elijah came so that Elisha, as the mantle was passed on, could have even greater return, bearing even greater fruit. Those that have come before are all part of the Lamb's book of life, even as we are today, but we should bear more fruit simply because they came before. Now, we have momentum. We have something going here that's taken us in the right direction. Peter, don't go back to all of those things that allowed you or brought you to not only cutting the ear off of Malchus, really coming off the Mount of Transfiguration. No, Jesus, you're not going to die even before they came off the Mount of Transfiguration. That was Peter, by the way, that said that. Get behind me, Satan, is what Jesus' retort to Peter was when he said that. But Peter just wanted to stay on the mountaintop. He didn't want to leave the material dimension. He thought this was for this time, this place, this world. And that's not the way it is. It's never been that way. But if you hang on to all of those material references, 
If you don't come to Jesus or go to Jesus seeking salvation, recognizing your curse as the earth is cursed, at least with this death thing. But even so, do you want to just be dirt? Or do you want to have a soul and then give your soul to Jesus or God through Christ Jesus so that you can become part of the divine nature, the Holy Spirit, and your soul be sanctified in that, preserved so that you get the benefit of that now as well as the hereafter. But when you get to heaven, there's no kings and kingdoms. Feed your sheep or feed my sheep. Feed your neighbor now. Do it now. Lay aside all these burdens that so easily beset you. Do it now. It will make it much better now. Is it heaven? No. Will there be exploitation? Will there still be lying, cheating, and stealing? Will there still be the residuals of that devil mindset in the world? The Antichrist? Yes. But even so... You can't make them do anything that they don't want to do. And it then would put you on the wrong side, in that way of contrast dimension. If you engage them as they're engaging you, you can't kill them. You can't make them do anything they don't choose to do. God can, but in that same way of creativity... The spirit of creativity truly is then resurrection power. But that's of God. That's not of you. It's certainly not of you in a human soul sense. It's not of you in material dimension. So can you be part of the creativity? Certainly. Can you be a vessel of creativity? Certainly. It's not you. You will not do it right out of your flesh. Because in your flesh is always about self-preservation. But if you allow that to be sanctified, not only with the word of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ, not only an encounter with Jesus, but witness of the not man Jesus, although we recognize we have to, because we're still human, having some image of what that looks like. That's why God sent his son Jesus so we'd have some material, hands-on, empirical reference. Oh, this is Jesus. But when Peter, as Peter, when Peter was speaking to Jesus, he wasn't again speaking to Jesus, the man. We are not speaking to Jesus, the man. But we do have his Holy Spirit because we came to Jesus. And then as with accepting Jesus as our Lord and Savior, now are one with him, we can start to look at our humanity and say, that's really not where I need to go to to make this decision about what I'm going to do with all this great stuff God's doing for me. Don't be tempted so much by the lust of the flesh or self-preservation that you go backwards and regress. Did Peter get it? I think he got it. But it was still a little slow. He was still a little slow, still slow in coming. Verse 20. Then Peter, turning about, seeth the disciple whom Jesus loved 
And this is Peter's perspective, or I guess it's really John. He's reporting it. I guess John, again, there was a bit of competition and rivalry. Is it wrong for John to say that? No, but I think John is probably as guilty as all of us would be. Oh, Peter, he does love me, though, and I love him, and I'm looking at you, and he's kind of calling you out on this, and he loves me, and John reported that way, following who also leaned on his breast at supper and said, Lord, who is he that betrayeth thee? It's all of John. Peter, seeing him, saith to Jesus, Lord, and what shall this man do? Jesus saith to him, if I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? Follow thou me. Because really, if you make it about selfish, at some point, you're going to compete with everyone to the extent or degree that whether you think you want to kill them or not, you're going to. Why? Because that's the only way in material reference to be better than somebody else is either to take everything they have and or to kill them in the process. Steal their soul, steal their life. The thief cometh to kill, steal, and destroy. The thief being the devil. Your lusts, competition, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, even that righteousness. Survival of the fittest, (laughs) the best science has to offer. Darwin. It's all about being superior. But that's not the way to superiority in a material sense because the only way there is to take that and allow it to be a tool useful to some end. It's a godly end. I say only some because we can't always see it. God knows it. But if we follow his leading as he speaks to us, not out of humanity, but out of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is in us. It's not vulnerable to corruption of any material dimension of the earth. And I don't think God was talking about the earth being the the material being corrupted. Earth, he was talking about us. We're corrupted. The human soul corrupts us. The devil exploiting that is the source of the corruption. But we have great power in this world. Why? Because we don't create. God does all the creating. But we're part of that. And we can resist. We can not cooperate. We can work against God. God helps those who help themselves. Out of the right motive, we must cooperate. Maybe that's true then, if that's what you're speaking to. But if you say that as with justification for doing what you think is right, and then trying to make the New Testament gospel of Christ back up, support, validate why you're choosing to do it this way, when all evidence is that you're coming out of yourself, not out of the mind of God or the mind of Christ, the Old Testament or the New Testament, you failed to pass through either of those swords, you're not going to get back in the garden because both of those are sanctification tools. And you have to use both continually. The Old Testament continues to sanctify us in a flesh sort of way for the sake of cooperating in a material mind sort of context, a will sort of context. 
But it only goes so far because it does not then acknowledge or is not then salvation in that it will only get us to the place of calling upon the name of Jesus because it can't save us. The only thing that saves us is, I do believe it's a change of heart, but maybe it's just a recognition of heart. God's still in you. He's just suffocated the Holy Spirit by all of this stuff that we're talking about. All the flesh, all that motive of selfishness, me, 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 even if I want to say it's for a good reason, good cause. If it doesn't include feeding my sheep, helping others, if you raise up arms, kill the adversary, you're no better than your adversary. You don't believe in resurrection power. You're not even in Holy Spirit bearing fruit. Galatians 5.22. You're not bearing the fruit of the Spirit in that way. How can you have place with Jesus separating sheep from goats? How can you have place with Jesus, claim to have place with Jesus now? Oh, we knew you, Jesus. We did. They say, no, you didn't know me, Jesus says. You just wanted to justify yourself. And you're a hypocrite. Where's the hypocrisy? Because your heart is not leading you, your head is. That's a great peril, not only in a general sort of way, with all of life. And I do believe it is the essentials of salvation. When you get to a point where you can understand that, maybe not entirely exactly the way I understand that, but at least search it out yourself. Read the scripture. Talk to Jesus. Accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. But it's also essentially what makes counseling work. Because it's not out of our heads. Mine or whoever I'm counseling. Offering specialized pastoral care services. Or Christian counseling too. I'm not a life coach. I'm a Holy Spirit distributor. I'm a vessel for the Holy Spirit. I'm not the exclusive one. (laughs) I can enjoy creativity. I like new things. I like being part of it. I like seeing it unfold. I like a love. God using me. I'd love to be on that mountaintop with Jesus all the time. But even as, again, Peter, James, and John, and Jesus had to come off of the mountain, I realized it's not that I'm not there, but I have to get past the down here so that I can remove the barriers, the strongholds that preempt me, that really grieve the Holy Spirit. That really then in that way create the hardness of heart that blasphemes the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit. But if you're in a counseling session, (laughs) I'm not the only one and I'm hoping that by the time you get there, the Holy Spirit's already spoken to you. But I'm part of that. I do understand the human aspects of it maybe a little differently and I would think to your advantage might be better but I'm sure to your advantage than you do I understand the tricks of the devil better than maybe others might and I am also pretty assured that in the Holy Spirit I am going to resist maybe better than even other Christians 
understanding the selfish dimensions and have sworn a vow to not exploit you, take advantage of you, use you, or the power that God has given me to minister to you for personal gain. Otherwise, I'd be just Jesus. Would be. It has. I mean, that used to move me incredibly about girding thyself and stretching forth your arms and my arms or Jesus would then say I'd have to stretch out my arms as he did Peter to me he says that 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 was a moment when I began to realize in the same sort of way I'm not you're not there for me I'm there for you but I make a vow and a commitment not to do that and then I'm certainly better than those psychologists or those of humanistic persuasion that don't even recognize Christianity They may understand the material, but if they're not bound to Christ and service in the same way, and they don't have the Holy Spirit that would lead and guide them, don't go see them. You're you're talking to the devil in the sense that, not them, I'm not going to personalize, and, and I'm certainly not going to call out a person, but... How could we say they're anything but of the devil, either directly or indirectly, if they don't lead with Jesus or lead with the Holy Spirit? You should know better as a Christian. The devil tricks a lot of people, even Christians, but let this be at least a clarion sort of call or point. If they don't speak about Jesus as you would want or you would speak to them about Jesus, do some research. Google them. If they don't have that, at least some testimony of that in their life, you might want to think twice before you go see them. I'm hoping that there will never be a time when anybody would come see us at Covenants, Specialized Pastoral Care Services, Christian Counseling Ministry, where they would believe that we were not leading with Jesus. And should you have a question, something occur... Ask about it. I am leading with Jesus, but I'm not always exactly where I need to be in the Spirit. And with that, there needs to be at times some clarification. But to me, if I don't preach the gospel, and a worse thing could not befall me, except to take the innocence of these little ones, it'd be better a millstone tied around my neck, and I'd be thrown into the sea of into the sea, or, or better for Sidon, as with Tyre and Sidon. It'll be better for them than me, because I will have led them astray. I will have not helped. I will have harmed. I, that's my conviction. I don't want to do that. I do believe God covers me in many ways, but if you have to call me out because you think I've done, do so. I, if it's something I need correction on, I need correction. Nobody's perfect. But I do believe, though, that our declaration and our intention, and if you are willing to talk to me, uh, either for the sake of correction on my part or your part, when it comes to possible misunderstanding, that's the way we do that. That's what Jesus said. Go talk to your brother. See if you can work it out. If you should need some assistance and believe that we're doing this with the best of intentions and motives, give us a call. 304-528-9220. Visit us online. Covenantsonline.com. Catch us on Facebook at Covenants. Let me see if there's anything else that I find. Oh, email us. 
covenants.llc1 at yahoo.com. And you can always come back and catch the next podcast of What is Covenants? Specialized Pastoral Care Services, Christian Counseling Ministry with Dave Clay. Until we get that chance, hopefully, to meet again, God bless. And thanks for listening.